Hi, I'm Frankie Frayne, and I've been making movies since I was a kid. I've made three low-budget feature films of varying success, and I went to film school. Twice. For better or worse, I've developed a science for completing feature-length projects on pocket change, and it has a lot to do with the kinds of conversations you'll hear on this podcast with teachers, friends, and artists. You don't have to pay 40 grand a year for bad advice. This is Discount Film School. Frankie Frame. Uh, Jake Emanuel, as I live and breathe. And, well, hey, what's going on, man? What's up? How you doing? Good, man. Yeah, it's been, I don't know the last time I've actually seen your face talking. It's a little bit pathetic, because I don't think we've we've spoken for, like, two years now, maybe? Maybe not live, no. Maybe not live, and I yeah. mean, it's not like I've been that busy. <laughs> Gonna fit you in the schedule a couple times. <laughs> well, we obviously are just horrible <laughs> humans. <laughs> uh, Willie, you you especially, I haven't talked to in a while. How are you, man? Yeah, I'm good. I'm the same that he is, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, we live one life over here. Our hips are attached. You can't see it. <laughs> do, you, um, do you guys live together? Yeah. Yeah. We do. The place looks kind of nice. Yeah, it's actually no, it's pretty cool. Yeah. We live we we had another roommate um and we lived in this place in West Hollywood for like the first like 4 years after after Emerson. And um it's just like after after 4 years it's like got to get the fuck out of this place. This is this is a long time. Look at our t- look at our TV. Yeah. It's 70 inches. Our apartment is 100 inches. Uh, so, you know. This has totally ruined me on every other TV in the universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's better than movie theaters, right? I mean, you go to a movie theater with, like, moderately good projection, and it's no good. I, if I watch a 50-inch screen or a 45-inch screen, I'm like, what is this piece of peasant, peasant <laughs> television? <laughs> so so you guys have listened to a few of these, right? You know what the tone is. It's not... I talked uh, about it with, with uh, Kurt, and the thing that was, I think, the consensus between us was that it was sort of like... Hanging the out. best we could get as far as hanging out with you. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, even though, you know, <laughs> we don't really hang out with you, obviously, uh, we think about you all the time because, you know, you were in our, our wolf, wolf pack. Yes. So then, you know, you know, the general tone, which is like, it's not. Um, so this is the this is the film podcast, the, the, the one I've I've talked to, like, um, like Paul Santagato, who does visual effects now. I've talked to Karin. I've talked to some professors of mine. And it's just, it's conversational. It's meant to be conversational. So, so yeah, really. Yeah, with Karin, which, which sounded so interesting. Yeah. You know? Oh, the Norwegian stuff? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it seems like they give you a lot of stuff on a platter. I'm they like, hey, want to move to Europe. I want those things. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Australia, Australia was the same thing. Um, yeah. You, well, you had, yeah, you, which was, how was your trip to Australia? I didn't even get the chance to talk to you about it. It was, it was probably the coolest thing I've done with film so far, I would say. It was, it, it was like nothing, nothing compares to it so far. That's um, amazing. Yeah. I mean, just in terms of like, uh, you're, you're, you are as far away from anyone who could be interested in your shit for the wrong reasons as possible. Um, right. Like oh. they're, they're only into it because they're into it. And, um, I mean, I think we hooked people with the the there's the ass to toe poster. Um, you know, it's literally N- Nina's ass with a toe going into it. That's the poster. That, that, that's I I thought for an underground f- festival is like just throw that out there and see if anybody comes. And yeah, the the uh, the screening was sold out like like only standing room. And, um, and it was cool because we were 
uh, in competition with other screenings at the festival because they screen multiple movies at a time. And I think we were the only... So they they program short end features, and I think we were the only feature that wasn't a documentary that was also not made by a celebrity. Were you emotionally prepared to go to Australia and have an, an empty house? Like, what if what if I go all the fuck out there... And yeah, the, yeah, uh, yeah, that was really horrifying. Not just that, but I didn't even know what I didn't even know what kind of festival it was going to be because, like, I don't know. I the the website wasn't particularly impressive. Right. right. You know, like, what can eight pictures really show you? Right. Right. <laughs> um, but why the fuck not? You know, like that's that's as good a reason as any to go to Australia. Yeah. Oh, pretty nice. Yeah. Um, well, that was the thing. Was I I I was like, do I go? Do I not go? It's like a sixteen hundred dollar plane ticket. Um. And then when when Keith Sadik jumped in and was like, "I'll go," <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Okay, I can't not now." Like, he, well, he, yeah, it's a lot easier to get buddy. That's very much a Hobbit story of like, yeah, the, the it's, it's, it's the classic, it's the classic Hobbit buddy system. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but no, it was it was great. They were they were really nice to us. They actually put us up, which was really really sweet of them. Um. Fuck yeah, that's great. Yeah, they and, and it was at first we were in a dorm room and then they ended up bringing us over. They actually paid for a hotel for like four days, so that was really nice. Um, well, how long were you there for? Four days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we like jumped in. We saw the opera house. We saw like some of their like more, you know, like urban sprawl, and then um and we hung out with there was we we were kind of assigned like one of their film students, uh, this girl named Holly, who like took us around everywhere. And she was really nice, and so, so we. They, they gave you a chick too. Yeah, we got we got yeah. <laughs> again, awesome. again, classic. Oh, they give you a hotel. They throw you a girl. <laughs> again, classic buddy Hobbit story. Right. <laughs> you send two hobbits to Australia and give them a chick too. Hobbits, hobbits share women. I heard. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Foot fetishists. <laughs> um, so it was, it was great. It was uh, the plane ride sucked. That was the only thing. <laughs> And well, because West, West was uh, Boston, Massachusetts, and Sydney, Australia are literally on the opposite sides of the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you could you couldn't pretty much get any farther than that. It was a, it, I think cumulative, it was twenty four hours. Um, but you know, it's like it's weird because you're, you're complaining about sitting on your ass watching movies and eating. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like you're still not really doing anything that painful. Um, but for some reason, but for some reason, it still is pretty terrible. Even yeah. if you are doing those things, I, I can't even justify it. <laughs> well, they, it was coach, right? So it was a three seater, and uh, and Keith yeah. Keith was in the middle the whole time, and there was always oh, somebody fun. with us. <laughs> but you know, the aisle sucks too, by the way, because like you get carts flying down the aisle the whole time and shit. Yeah. Wait, what fl- uh, what airline did you fly? Uh, what was it? Um, Qantas. No, United. Yeah, it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the movie comes out on DVD February nineteenth, I think. Are you gonna Are you gonna stream it? Cool. Uh, yeah, it's but it's not gonna be on Netflix. It's gonna be on um, on Amazon Video on Demands and Great. A, a few of the other ones. Uh, Voodoo. Yeah, that's that 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 was one of it's like a you know it's like a big package of VOD shit. Voodoo is the one. Is, Voodoo's a big one. It's on I Xbox. use it. I yeah. use it that all the time. Yeah, it's on it's Xbox. Oh, is that the is that the Xbox one? Okay. Yeah. Um, I still like buy DVDs like an old man and shit. <laughs> I'm putting together a nice little Blu-ray shelf of, of favorites, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, like, how can you resist something like the fucking Kubrick collection? It's like literally all ten movies 
I know, I know. <laughs> on Blu-ray. It's staring at you with its dress open, you know? <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Showing you its big fucking Mick Jagger lips. Exactly. Um, th- uh, that's the other thing that uh, I wanted to I wanted to get your guys' take on was um, there I'm I, I might get hired to write a, a a family Christmas movie from Utah or where? No, it's from um, why Utah? Because that was offered to us one time like four <laughs> years ago, and it was horrible. This it one, was like this a one, warming, like weird. This one movie. Utah Christmas movie that just keeps circling around. <laughs> yeah. It's going to find a home. <laughs> so that would be nice. I, I mean, as far as crisp family Christmas movies, I mean, I could write that with pencil between my ass cheeks. Exactly. I, I've seen them. In your sleep. You've been dreaming those movies. I've seen them all. I love them all. I hate them all. Like, I, the, one pro- the one problem, Frankie, is they're all made by Jews. So I know. <laughs> yeah. I remember you said something to me years ago that, that um, stuck with me forever, which was um, uh, put it in. No, uh, it was... <laughs> uh, that like you didn't really know any Christmas movies starring Santa that didn't end with a third act that was delivering presents of some kind. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's totally true. Because we, uh, it's that sounds so wise and so stupid at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's totally that's really funny. We almost wrote a Christmas movie this year. Yeah, actually. you you and, you mentioned something about that. And yeah, it did not deliver presents at the end. No, I think he did, Willie. You're absolutely incorrect. He definitely delivered presence at the way end of the movie. Uh, I like, can't believe you're forgetting this. Oh, the tag, the tag, the tag, tag of the movie, okay, okay. which still counts. Okay. okay. Oh, is that like a? It's not. <laughs> it's like like a Marvel after credits thing. I just meant it wasn't the third act. It's not him delivering presents. Oh yeah, the third act is like not him like having to get on the reindeer. And, yeah. Oh no, the sleigh's not working. Oh no. Or it's Wolf's not nose is uh, too much cocaine in his nose. <laughs> or it's not. It's or it's not Santa. It's like some. Uh, it's it, you know. It's Ernest or whoever. Oh okay. It has to deliver has the fucking gifts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. Um, although Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street is the only one I can think of where I'm like, I guess that, you know, because he was fucking not real <laughs> or, or whatever. <laughs> Um, it was good for the sad and depressing sort yeah, of uh, psychopath. Christmas movie. <laughs> um, so anyway, so yeah, I guess um, I guess we should start. Uh, Have we not started yet? What's yeah, going on I'm, here? I'm concerned. <laughs> um, but for anybody who doesn't know who I'm talking to, this is J- uh, Jake Emanuel, Willie Block, went to college with them. Um, and there's not too many people that I went to college with who are working. And these two fuckers are working. And we were really close. They were like, Jake was, you know, starred in, in one of my features and Willie was always there. One time I went on a really dangerous truck ride with Willie through the snow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is that for braining aliens? Yeah, man. <laughs> Did you ever see the documentary I threw together for that? Oh, man, those are the days. That and Geezer and Gorham, those were fun. Braining aliens is the only uh, evidence that we even did any of that is the documentary I put together. Oh yeah, I know. Well, Dan, maybe maybe it was wor- it was just worth it for the documentary. Yeah, I mean, y- you you kept comparing it to like Werner Herzog. 
I was I was romanticizing it. Yeah. Don't worry there. I was romanticizing it a little bit. <laughs> Level of catastrophe. Like three people didn't die and no one got shot. You know? I don't know though. Like th- thinking back on that, so like for anybody, so so go watch this little like YouTube documentary I made called uh, "The Making of Braining Eating Aliens." It was uh, one of our friends, Dan, uh, was making a what was called a film three, right? Which was supposed to be the advanced version of like you shoot on negative film, uh, you try to do sort of maybe a more lofty, motivated project because you've proven that you're you're capable of that. And uh, he was in a comedy troupe with Jake and Kurt. And Jake had written a, a, a really funny sketch, actually, about just, I mean, it was a really base comedy idea, but it was good. It was solid. And, and I think that's why he, like, that's what made it good to shoot on film, because you can't really fuck it up. Except he decided, <laughs> <laughs> he decided to shoot it in a, kind of the middle of nowhere. Um, just the fucking idea to go all the way out there for that sketch is insane. Yeah, well, and then the suffering that, that followed. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, so so the the whole concept was, uh, one of their friends had a cabin, or his family had like a like a summer cabin, but they you could access it, you could get power to it, you could light outside for it, um, and that would be lodging, and it would be lighting, and everybody would be good, even though it was fucking freezing outside, and it was Easter Sunday too, by the way, but it was a bunch of Jews, so no right. problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> they uh, like we would be fine, except. Naturally, like after renting like a U-Haul and bringing all these people in all these vehicles, you couldn't get past this one kind of snowbank. Uh, the only way to get to the cabin was to walk in, right. in, I think, like at least a foot of snow. And um, and Willie was kind of like reluctantly uh, assigned the role of producer. Yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> what was that? What was that all about? I don't know. Well, he, you know, he just thought it would be a fun time. To yeah, he asked me projects. to do it, and I was like, sure. And then I remember what could go wrong. What could go wrong? Exactly. <laughs> I actually, it was so such a simple thing, and then I was just shocked that like we could overcomplicate something to the extent where it is such a nightmare. I remember we had to go door to door, knocking on houses for snow plows to dig out the truck. Yeah, that's then, that's what you and I did. At around like eleven or something, half the crew mutinied, and I had to drive them all four hours like back to Boston. That sucks. That I would have hated. <laughs> I would have hated doing that. It was so. Oh, you. I, well, I had a worse. I had a worse time than I let on. Actually, uh, I was trying. I was trying, trying to be. To I was trying to be a trooper moral, because um, morale. Keep up morale. Uh, you know, it's part of one of my genetic deficiencies <laughs> from many generations of Jewish incest is I have I have asthma, and so I was sort of having an asthma attack. Uh, uh, during the shoot, he's like, yeah. I didn't really, ha- I didn't have my inhaler with me. Man, I didn't know that. So I was just wheezing the whole time. You know, well, I, I was went just, home. I could have picked it up. I don't think I had any at home. I was, just oh. cho- I was out there. <laughs> so I was out there choking for twenty four hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I was really fat, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, I just, I remember like. Yeah, well, like I had already gone through one and a half feature filmmaking experience, low but low, low, low budget feature filmmaking experiences, and I always wanted to contradict all of the awful experiences I had already had, and so I was always like, you know, if I were to be on a film set, I'm gonna be fucking like, I'm gonna hang in there, I'm gonna be a total trooper, I'm gonna show people like I'm committed to this and shit, but instantly, like I lost confidence in in the director, uh, <laughs> and. Uh, but I remember, I do still remember trying to like bring up morale. We by- love you, Dan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dan's great. No, but- the, thing is, the thing is, I remember Dan, Mike, and I went up to the cabin like a week earlier or something, and there was no snow at all. 
And I was like, well, if it snows, what do we do? I don't think like it's going to work. And Dan was like, oh, we'll just put everything on a sled and lock it down. Yeah. It made like, sense oh, at the time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'd, yeah. We'd hire Santa's sled and uh, <laughs> yeah. get down there. And the follow-up story that's pretty crazy is you remember, remember that was the cabin they were using to grow 90 marijuana plants. That's right. Oh, that's when that was a big deal. Yeah. 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 And people went to jail for that shit. Yeah. <laughs> Back when pot was illegal. Yeah, right. I mean, be- before laws, like it, even in mass now, it's it was. Um, oh, is it legal in New Hampshire? I don't know if it is in New Hampshire. I don't think it is in New Hampshire, but it, I. I think he still would have gotten it. In Massachusetts, in Massachusetts, it was decriminalized in 08, and now medical is fine as well. So, like, what's you left? Smoking weed down the street, you yeah. know, when they're walking to the tea. It was always my plan to. Well, not always my plan. It's been recently my plan to. Uh, to Try it. To, well, to become a complete pothead around age 80. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like what? Like once I like I really want it to work around that point. Well, it's you know what's John funny? Carpenter what's funny is that I'm really when uh, we're going to be the first generation that when we retire, when we're eighty, it's going to be great because we play video games. Yeah, I know. I've, I've always wanted to, to play Mass Effect. You know, I haven't had the time. <laughs> I can't wait till I'm 80. I'm going to fucking smoke some weed and play Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3. What about, all these, what about all these DVDs I've been buying? I, I think I'm, I've just been waiting for, like, the day that I'm crippled. <laughs> I can just <laughs> lay there and watch all of them. But in the meanwhile, yeah, no, I, I used to wonder, like, when I, you know, because Nina used to work at a nursing home years ago, and I was always like, if I was an old man... And there, I had no visitors, or I was in one of those sucky situations. I would just start like, yeah, I would take whatever savings I had and buy whatever new video game system is out, and be like, I'm gonna learn it, I'm gonna master it. <laughs> if only those sad eighty year olds knew that now, you know, they're just stuck playing fucking Parcheesi until they die. <laughs> I know it, but why don't they just try it? Like, what's stopping them from being like, give me one of them Wii's? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Nintendo should have like door to door, like old home salesmen, you know, yeah. doing demonstrations, you know? It's kind of like a priest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want to try it? <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, we, we kind of, um, we graduated together. Um, but we spent all those time, as Jake said, we were in something of a, of a filmmaker's wolf pack. And <laughs> the thing I've said in the, you know, I was, when I was talking to the Australian film students, they were like, oh, we're actually all really supportive of one another. And, uh, I, I at Emerson, that wasn't the experience at all. I think what it was, was everybody, um, when you first show up, you're kind of competitive and then you settle in, you go, okay, com- competition obviously doesn't make sense, but you still hate every other kid's project. And you think your right. you think yours is at least pretty good, and every other one sucks. And I think that's really what it is: is that nobody likes student films, even student filmmakers. Yeah, except that's their own. True. Yeah, except. Oh well, that's not true. Well, a lot of that has to do. A lot of that has to do with ego, and you know, being self conscious and skeptical. And it's just, I think that's also an. I think that's also an age thing. You know, it's like when you're when you're nineteen, yeah. twenty years old. Yeah, I think that people tend to be a lot more competitive now. You know. We're, 26 about to turn 20 I'm about to turn 27 yeah I'm you know it's I'm fucking it's fucking tough out there now I just want my friends to do well you yeah. know I'm like if you could get something done that's great you know well, it depends yeah. on the person like I was never the biggest fan of all the stuff we did yeah and I guess you know as far as being competitive there might be some people who I think are assholes who I I don't want them to be successful right but, and then we have you know friends who are doing super well like a lot better than we are that I'm super happy for yeah totally yeah. Uh, well, because I th- I think that when you're 18, you think that there's like um, 
you know, there's maybe like five pounds of success and that's all that's available. <laughs> so like, right. right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. If someone else's successful mean that you can't be successful. Yeah. Right. Um, but you realize that that's not, the but that would just complete bullshit. It, yeah. Not only is it bullshit, it's completely the opposite, <laughs> which is like your, your friend's success is only good news for you. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. Help you. Right. Um, so, but I remember, I mean, our first major collaboration was probably Final Exam, which was like, that was a really interesting, like, sampling of film students trying to get something done together. And it, it actually kind of worked out. And that's when we knew we all were going to be famous, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, we've done smaller things before that even. Do you remember Fairy Ninja 2? I have it, dude. Yeah. I, oh, God. I have. Let's just not speak See, about like that. Like I said, I'm not the biggest fan of everything we did. Let's just not. And speak. I wasn't then. I let's never, not speak I about that ever again. again. <laughs> Let that be the first and last time. Well, that's mentioned Fairy Ninja Two in the next <laughs> five years. Well, that's the well, no, final exam. Final exam was great because we we all were working together and we're like, okay, let's let's win this thing. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, it, it was one of those bullshit competitions where they were like, this year's theme is growth. <laughs> Something like that. Oh, yeah. No, it was they give you the most bullshit topic, which means was there really, so was broad there that you could literally do anything and be like, yeah, that really Was there really a topic? Yeah, I think it horizons. Oh, my God. He's, tot- he's totally right. Well, it was- the one we made was about broadening my boner. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, you got to make out with a really hot chick that, like throughout yeah, most my, of the With my friend Roxanne, who is really hot. Yeah. 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 And I, was my, I was able to make out with her. It was if if you watch that movie again, which I haven't in a, in a long time, but I remember the last time I saw it, I was like, there is a lot of fucking talent. Like there are a lot of talented people all in this room, like Rob Morrison and Doug. Yeah, Rob was in that. Episode. Yeah, and Rob Rob is doing is pretty great. Again, I Rob is a guy I haven't spoken to in in a couple of years now. It's something about it. I'm just bad at keeping contact with all these people who who are my friends. Uh, but I think he was on he was in Urinetown on no, Broadway. Yeah, yeah he was. Ave, he's on Avenue Q. No, he was on Avenue he Q. Just, he was yep. in Urinetown in, in Boston. His last show was like two days ago. And he was in Avenue Q. And, That's right. Which is which is a great, a, yeah. an amazing gig. And my my buddy Ben Fisher seems to be working. Um, he makes a living acting in New York. You know, and that's. That's, That's good news. Hard. Which is not easy. Yeah, right. It's damn hard, yeah. And he uh he's he's been like he was so awesome when we made Sexually Frankie, just like he literally um just dropped whatever he was doing for it. We shot him, even though he's in most of the movie, he we shot him in I in one weekend, in three days. Um wow. because I wanted him in in it that badly. And now it looks like uh John Ryan is gonna probably be the like the main star in the next movie as well. I I have a part for him, it just makes a lot of sense for him. Oh, wow. I have a question about that, actually. Yeah. Was John, like, hesitant to make out with him? Well, they never made out in the movie. Yeah, I know. Could you not get them to make out? Uh, well, I, I, I couldn't really think of, like... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> While writing, I, I don't think it really... Why ever... didn't they make out in that <laughs> yeah, movie? Right. I felt like that was, that was missing a little, like, a little bit of the business stuff. There was, like, some cheek kissing and shit. Oh. oh yeah, that's what gay, that's what gay, that's so authentic. All these gay guys kissing each other on the cheek. <laughs> it wasn't like uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, there was some hand, some really nice close up hand holding and shit. I got pretty faggy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Um, you did you did? Was, yeah, I mean the movie's good. I just thought I think that Ben should have been sucking on John's goatee. <laughs> right, something. <laughs> like I said, the next movie. Um. <laughs> No, but those 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 guys are are really nice to me for whatever. I think that they've they had fun. Um, 
I think that's really all the fuck it is. Is is they? I remember like Jake, you had a pretty good time on Abo. Like just the 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 fun factor is is my currency really. Yeah, well, you know, like I think that you one of it's you have a unique skill where, and I can't do this for the life of me. And I think that's one of the reasons why I've stayed away from directing for a while. Whereas you have a unique skill where you're either not freaking out as a director, or you can hide the fact that you're freaking yeah. out. I'm not sure which one it is, but you just you know you make it very easy and very comfortable. And you know when you're a director, you have around a hundred things you have to think about at the same time, and uh, which definitely affects my behavior. You know I'm sort yeah, of in yeah. my own my own head, my own space, and you were just you know the entire time pretty chill. So it was just, it was, it was fun. I, I love freaked out Jake, the director though. There's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's why I showed up to all, all those movies with a camera. And I, I like, I love watching those to this day. Just like some of those like really breathless moments. <laughs> like, do we have everything we fucking need? Well, co- well, coincidentally, uh, we're shooting a, a short, it's a sketch, it's a sketch comedy. And it's the first time in a couple of years. And, um, at his house, it's, it's going to be oh, me. Really? And it's going to be Matt McGorry, and it's going to be 15, 20-year-old girls. And so I'll, uh, I'll be in that freak-out mode again. So wait a minute. Definitely. So th- <clears throat> this is in Westport, Connecticut? Yeah. When, when are you doing it? December 23rd. Next Sunday. Next Sunday. Shit, man. Maybe I should come out. <laughs> maybe we, you should. Maybe you should. should. Yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk about it next week. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, I don't. I don't want to do anything. I'll just show you up. Don't have to do anything. <laughs> um, I mean, unless you want me to be one of the fifteen-year-old girls oh my God. <laughs> or twenty-one-year-old girls. Um, that sounds great. So, what what made you decide to do that? What's fun? I sort of, I sort of missed it. You know, but just because. I mean. We've just we've very much specifically focused on feature film writing for the last five years, and what's and funny enough, when I was sort of doing sketch comedy in college, I was I was a little bit pretentious about it, you know. I was like, uh, Werner Herzog didn't do sketch comedy, <laughs> really. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll, I just I didn't really take it that seriously, but I think that I'm very good at it. You know, there's not a lot of things I'm I'm really good at. But that's definitely one of the things I'm really good at. And I just thought it would be a lot of fun. And so I think what's actually going to happen as far as a bigger picture is, you know, Willie and I are trying to put some sort of a pilot together or just some sort of, you know, like 10 sketches um, that we're and we're going to shoot them. And it's going to be me and Matt as, as the acting team. Yeah. He's going to fly out to L.A. a couple times. We're going to fly back out to the East Coast. And we're going to do, you know, 10 of these things and that's just put awesome. something together. That's really great. Another thing is that writing has just been so become like it's so brutal and have become so not completely unfun, but just yeah, like you want something new. Yes, it's, diversifying is a lot more exciting, and it's just more fun to just go shoot whatever the hell you want and not listen to anybody. Yeah, it's 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 just different a different type of reward to have something that's fully complete. You and know, it might like, be a complete fucking disaster. Because even because guess what? Even though we've had <laughs> even though we've had a, some a little bit of success since moving out to L.A. with screenwriting, it's not like anyone's gonna be like, oh yeah, I read your fucking screenplay. You know, I sat yeah. down for three hours and read your screenplay. You know, so. I'll, Oh, I see. I, yeah, it's, I, I never really thought about that, that you, you don't get, like, the kind of the immediacy of, like, exhibiting something to someone and, and, and getting the joy of, like, oh, you watched my shit and you liked it. 
Right, exactly. And, I, and, I, and we realized we, we missed that a little bit. And it was just, you know, it's always a good thing to spice things up and, and, um, and change things up a little bit, you know, always be in a sort of, sort of beta mode. But yeah. I mean, last night, I realized what I didn't miss about it is Willie and I, Willie and I have been doing a little bit of research on some equipment we wanted to buy. Yeah, man. And we bought this thing called the Merlin Two Steadicam. Have you heard of the Merlin Two? I have. Yeah. So what? So what's the problem? The problem was, for the fucking life of us, we just could not. <laughs> I spent figure... seven hours trying to balance the thing yesterday, and I wanted to kill myself. I wanted. I almost was like I was on the verge of tears um, because we just. And for, you know, it was like it was around seven. <laughs> it was around seven hours of. <sighs> We'll eventually get this thing. You know, yeah. we really want to use it because it's just—it's an amazing tool to be able to just do dolly and tracking shots. Um, and we want these ten sketches to look professional, so we thought it was a good investment. But you know, last night it was just like two two fucking idiots clunking heads together, not being able to get this thing to work for the life. Well, of the them. thing is, is if you don't have the balance exactly right. It like wobbles all over the place. And you know, like I mean, it's Willie was so doing hard. was working on it mostly for the first two hours. I was just sort of picking at him through the corner of my eye, watching YouTube videos. But uh, <laughs> that's, totally, that's after totally that, my after that, um, I I started helping him, and it was just after six hours of trying to get something to work and not being able to, it's just fucking depressing. So yeah. well, so who's shooting it? Me. Willie's shooting it. Oh, all right. I'm gonna be I I'm gonna be sort of directing, but. Com- I'll almost be blind as a bat because my my glasses won't be on, and I'm going to have one of those glazed over contact lenses, so I won't even be able to see anything. Yeah, I you know like when we did, so I shot my first feature, and that was just a horrible idea because I because yeah. I can't concentrate on anything but the shot. Like you become really you get this tunnel vision about <clears throat> you know your current framing, and then when we worked when I worked with Doug on Abo, that was like amazing because. You know, I was able to focus on what I wanted to focus on. I was acting, and you don't need any fucking dollies. You don't need steady cams. You don't need tripods. He's his right. his body is all that shit. Right. Um, but the problem was he's a filmmaker, and he uh, he doesn't want to be shooting your movie. <laughs> like he yeah. wants he wants to go shoot his own movie, and I, and and who can blame him? So I got really. But, asked but he, he, he seemed he seemed like he seemed like a re- he seemed like a real trooper. Oh, he oh. never, he never bitched for a second. He, he, all he ever told me was how fun he had. Um, he, I, I think he looks back on it very fondly, but at least I always had that in the back of my mind of like, this, this must suck for him a little bit. Yeah. The idea of, you know, like it, it's not fun if you're making a movie and you feel like people are checking their watches, you know, like yeah. in the yeah. back of your mind. Although that was part of the fun of working with him was he's, he's, because he's not a DP, he didn't act like one, you know, right. he, 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 he shot like a low budget filmmaker and that was definitely fun. But then uh, for Sexually Frank, I kind of fell in with these, you know, basically, I, I really hesitate to call them IT guys, but I met them through my IT job. And they're, <clears throat> you know, they love the toys and they love the technology and uh, they like to get their hands on it and play with it. And they really awesome to have somebody who knows the toys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, and, and, and like I'm a technology nut. And I don't want to fucking learn these toys either. Right, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, we. I don't love. I hate the toys. Well, after last night, I, <laughs> I hate, hate. I hate all the fucking, fucking toys. toys. So much. Uh, but no, I mean, we called all like the DPs that we know in New York, but they're all busy. I mean, the thing is with sketch comedies, so, you, you know, like Willie. Like, really, Willie's really shoot really shooting the damn thing. You know, he's not a great DP, but no. <laughs> the thing is with, with sketches is that I've seen them look great. And be funny. I've seen them look like dog shit and be funny. The trick is, it just has to be funny. 
Yeah, I, I I actually think that kind of a like a rough around the edges um, little dirtiness to it is okay, um, and pretty much anything shot on a on a seven D or one of these new DSLRs is gonna at yeah. least looks. I mean, which is which is what we have, and you know, which we have we have like we have a Canon T four I, and yeah. um, it's like our buddy, you know, Scott Fleischman, you know, he talks he talks about these cameras as you know like. Six years of studying, you know, to be a director of photography down the fucking drain. No, you it's know, like putting yeah. all these like artisans out of work. <laughs> yeah, it, it just it's true. turn the damn thing on, and it looks pretty good as yeah. is. One thing that that um I talked about it on a previous episode, but what made all the difference? Well, and you you really you don't see it when you shoot. You you only see it after the fact. Um, so they don't shoot raw, right? They shoot in this really compressed format. So the right. co- so the color information that the camera captures isn't especially manipulatable. So if you want to color correct it, you're going to have a little bit of a hard time. So my DP is um, kind of put together a flat color profile so that we could get a little more latitude out of the color. And uh, then he kind of fell through on color correcting the damn thing and never really found the time. So I was like, well, I'll fucking do it. I'm already doing everything else. I'm doing the talent editing. And, um, you know, I had to kind of like look into some tutorials, but I I became a color, you know, a, a colorist at the end of it. Um, and then I went, actually went back and color corrected Abo and even fucking awful looking 10 pounds, uh, <laughs> just, just to put it on, on Blu-ray. And, uh, I think I sent you the Abo Blu-ray. Um, you did, yeah, I, I have it in my, right in my shelf. It looks pretty, it looks halfway decent. And that was a really compressed format. So, uh, my recommendation would be if you want it to like, if you want to just get that extra little bump of professionalism without having to shoot for it, um, see if you can color correct it. And if you want me to color correct it, I will. Fuck yeah. How long did it take you to do uh, Abo and um, I Need to Lose 10 Pounds? Um, those were really tough because I had to go – like I had to find all the sources. Right. Um, but like I don't know, probably two or three weekends, like hitting it kind of hard. That's not so, that's not so bad. No, I mean I, I'm, I, I get a process down. You start to – like you form a logic to what you're doing and then you just chop – but you do every single shot, like every single I was, cut. I was prepared to hear you say eight months – no, no, no. Yeah. No, it was everything else that took that long. But um, although one thing that was really funny about those two movies is so we shot sexually, sexually Frank properly, where mm-hmm. like you take, you know, a master of the whole scene and then you go in for coverage and you kind of like you have matching shots. <laughs> the, right. the other two movies, it was almost like, you know, the whim of myself or Doug, like. Like between, like somebody could be in the middle of dialogue and it would like the frame would change. So literally every single shot needed a different amount of attention as opposed to being like, okay, this setup is always the same, just color correct it this way the whole time. But uh, so so yeah, let me know if you want to do something like that. But um, in any event, the the we haven't even talked about the thing that would probably make you most interesting to those who don't know you. This is going to be the most boring fucking podcast for people who don't know us. You know, it's us catching up. But, uh. It's fine by me. Uh, yeah. It's more for me than anyone else. Um, yeah. Did, so, so uh, you graduate from from college. I think I remember you over the course of the four years defining yourselves as not you know not just writers but a writing team. Right. Um, which I think happens in film school somewhat commonly, but maybe ebbs and flows breaks apart. You guys were pretty like, no, we, we are going to write shit together. Yeah. And I think the thing that, I think the funny thing about that is it's a lot more common outside of film school. There's a lot of, there's a lot of writing teams who, who work in the studio system and people come together for, for different reasons. 
But for us, it was never like, I'm good at dialogue. He's good at story. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it was mostly that we were just friends and we, and it's, it's fun. Very it's fun to do the, it's fun to do these things with your friends. And I mean, as you know, you have collaborators, you know, Nina is the collaborator for you and you yeah. probably couldn't think about doing it without her. Yeah, you know? definitely. Definitely. No, I, is it, I always noticed you guys were kind of, um, well, first of all, you love movies. I mean, that, that, that was the first thing that's like, that struck me was like, I don't think I love movies as much as these guys. Is that a problem? And <laughs> I mean, you really, really loved movies. Like every fucking weekend you like shades drawn, like movie after movie and just absorbing it all. And, and you were kind of your, um, I, I, I think your tastes were similar enough while being somewhat different that you were good audiences for one another while writing. Is that accurate? That is accurate. I mean, we, yeah. we were able to get, ex- it was, it's mostly been important about being able to get excited about what we're working on. And, you know, it's, we were each other's audience and, you know, we're just like, yeah, we'd like to make this movie. We'd like to write this movie. It'd be a lot of fun. And that's it, you know, and it's a lot easier when you're out here and you're doing it with someone else. I mean, I know, I know a lot of other friends who, who graduated with us, who sort of decided to turn away from movie making it's because it's a, it's a brutal motherfucker out here, yeah, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a lot easier to, to have people, a, a, a group of support um, for the things that don't work out. You yeah. know, it's easier. It's, it's much more important to have someone there for when you fail over when you succeed. And when you, you start to open the door and start going into working professionally, uh, when you get 20 pages of notes that make you want to kill yourself, you know, it's re- that's when it's really important to have someone on your side. I mean, because very quickly you learn, like, not to be attached to anything. I mean, you're going to throw out, literally in the trash that no one will ever read again, 80% of everything you write. You want to hear something? No you want to hear something? Cr- so the fact that, like, when you get so many notes and have to rewrite things 100 times and it's – you want to, like that's, you said, kill yourself. It is so much better to have a friend. That's when you need you a, actually don't. That's when you need another <laughs> another soldier in the trench. Yeah, that's yeah. when it's really helpful for me. You know, it's just like because it's that's just it. It's very it's very hard, and having a support team is sort of is is vital because you feel like even if you have a manager or an agent, uh, you feel like you you're alone. You know, and well, you're, those you're, relationships are. Sh- Pretty much strictly business. Relationships. Those are just strictly yeah. business relationships, right? Um, and I think that's part of that's part of the you know that's part of why we're still we're still in it. We're still doing it. If I was by myself, I would just you know I'd be like, "Fuck this! I'm going to move to Portland. I'm going to try to live a, a real life." And yeah, because isn't there an element of? I think for a lot of people, it's not just like, "Wow, this is hard to be successful," or. You know, wow, all these relationships I thought were genuine or fake or whatever. I think there's that base element of I fucking was making pretend I was I was making movies like this was fun. And this is like somehow they've twisted it to make it as little fun as possible. And and, and, yeah. And in the face of that, you you kind of double down. You have to convince you if you're going to push forward, you have to convince yourself or yourselves in your case, that it's the most important thing in the world. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Which is bullshit. It's that it's movies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, but I mean, that's a double edged sword, right? Because if you do make it the most important thing in the world and then it doesn't go right, you fucking are miserable yeah. over you and, know, a fucking movie. And the, and the hardest, and what's funny is, you know, we sold our first, our, our first movie 
two and a half years ago. Um, and that's when things actually started getting really hard. Yeah. And yeah. that's when things got even, you know, much tougher, you know, it's cause it's sort of like, that's when, um, your, your idealism sort of meets reality. You know, that's when, that's when, you know, your, 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 just your passion, your love and, and just what your, your dreams sort of meet harsh reality and you see what's sort of behind the curtain. Yeah. Rubber's hitting the road. Like this is actually happening now. And what does that mean? It's, 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 there's nothing conceptual about it anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. So, so you, when you graduated, um, you actually, I I believe on the, uh, on your way out of Boston, you had some leads. Is that correct? Yeah. You know, I'm actually happy we're talking about this, you know, as far as, you know, like some of the things we're working on right now, the stuff we're going through right now, um, the projects that we're starting to work on, I don't really have a good sense of um, perspective on it yet since I'm right in the middle of this stuff. But, you know, as far as when we first graduated, um, what happened is when we were in college, we wrote, we wrote a screenplay called Escape from Camp Badger. And, you know, it was just sort of, it was out of our love for those ambling movies of the 1980s, you know, movies like The Goonies or, or Mon- movies like Mon- Monster Squad. I was say Monster Squad, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, in Escape from Camp Badger is about a, a group of kids at, at summer camp. It's sort of like, it's sort of, you know, like a Home Alone meets Meatballs. And a group of escaped convicts take over this camp and a couple of kids have to have to escape and take back their camp. And we're just trying to write a movie that had a nostalgic factor. Um, and that was an ode to those movies we loved. And what happened is so we wrote this script. And one of our friends, Christina Carmel, was working at the Jim Henson Company. And she gave the script to her boss, uh, who is the vice president of development at, at um, Jim Henson. And he really liked it. And for a while, he, he gave us this book. To, and he was like, would you be interested in adapting it, adapting this book? And we were like, absolutely. Hell yeah, we want to adapt this book. And so right off the bat, when we graduated from, from college, we were lucky enough to have some you know, not a paid job, but sort of uh, what seemed like an entry into the into the film business. Yeah, the beginning of a relationship with somebody. I mean, but at the same time, that was a terrible experience. Horrible. Um, I think that, you know, they're partially to blame. I think we're partially to blame just because we didn't really know what we were doing at the time. You know, we didn't, we were, because coming out of college, we're like, oh, how about this wacky idea? How about this silly idea? And, they were, and we gave, we must have written, you know, 40 different versions of the whole movie. I copied, I copied, I copied, uh, and pasted, uh, in Microsoft word, how many, how you know, just how, how much pages, pages? Are, it was around like 180 pages. So, you know, I think that, <laughs> I think that, um, of like treatment, not holy so fuck, around, you know, seven or eight months. And we, we sort of felt like we were being taken advantage of, we were, no, we were being taken advantage this of this guy. Well, I think, the worst thing is that um, when you're working with a producer and they have no idea what the hell they want, um, because then when, the worst thing you could ever hear is, I'll know it when I hear it. Yeah. So that means, you know, you are trying anything. You have no fucking direction for what this guy wants. You have no course to navigate yeah, through. Yeah, it sucks. And because it was our first, it was sort of our first entry into Hollywood, we thought this was maybe normal or... Because when you move out here, there's all sorts of different dark, skeezy alleys you can, you know, you can yeah. go down. This was one of them. And, and, um, <laughs> this is one of them. <laughs> but what, ha- what happens, what happened when, uh, we were working on this project, 
we sort of we sort of were like we sort of decided we wanted to as almost reactionary we're like let's write something that's not a kids movie that's sort of like gross and fucked up and just as loud and outlandish as possible so we wrote this this action comedy called berserker um title later changed to fuck you i win yep um i've read all these movies too that was when we were still talking to each other you know every every couple of every couple of weeks um and we were able while that jim henson disaster was happening to to get an agent and the way we got an agent was we lied um we became (laughs) we became friends with an assistant and who knew all these agents and managers and we lied to her. We said, Hey, people in, in, in Hollywood are talking about our scripts. We have a bunch of agents and managers who are really interested and excited about the screenplay we wrote. Would you mind sending it to a couple more agents and a couple more managers? And she was like, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. And she just did it. And, reading it. Wow. and, what, was, and what was great about that and, I'm very proud of this. Willie and I were were very smart about this. If we hadn't done that, if we hadn't lied, she would have been like, well, let me read it first. Let me me give you your notes. You know, because she she wouldn't have had the confidence to just push it along. Also, Forcito was on Jason's desk, so she was like, you know, working so hard that she... No first names, Willie. No first names. Well, whatever. (laughs) And she, you know, working so hard that she probably didn't even have time to read it. And so she was just like, yeah, whatever, and shot it off. Um, And so what's funny is she she sent it to, you know, maybe 10 agents, 10 managers. And we got a couple people who seemed like they were interested, but sort of were like, "Eh, nah, at the end of the day. But we ended up getting uh, one, an agent out of it. Yeah. Huge. So that was CAA, yeah? Or not yet? That was not CAA. That was that was a, a um a, a talent agency called called talent agency a boot a boutique agency. No first names. <laughs> Sandy. <laughs> yeah. Who's a who's a great guy? The sweetest guy. Who's a great guy and a, and a great agent. Um, but it just so happens when we got an offer from CAA a year later, we were like, "Sorry, we have to we have to fire you <laughs> and go with CAA." Um, so it was not the fact that he was a bad agent in any way. Sandy's a very good agent in, in, in many ways. Which we would we've, had, we've had three, we've had three different a- agents now. Um, yeah. And within many ways, in some ways, he was certainly the best. Yeah. But we were like, no, we're young, that. dumb, full of cum. We want to go with CAA. You're yeah. not, you're not CAA is really what it comes down to. Well, exactly. they also, you know, they court you, you know, they throw you in a room with, Jody Hill, David Gordon Green, and Danny McBride, and they're all like, you got to sign to CAA. We're like, okay. I- ironically, <laughs> ironically, we had one weekend where we sat down with, with because basically what happened is that year we were, we were with that first agent. We, we uh, got a manager too, who, are, who is our manager right now. Yeah. Who is sort of, and, and I couldn't really tell you what the difference is, you know. Uh, the manager is more of your day-to-day guy, you know, like. Yeah. What do you want to do with your career? Like, what is it that you, you know, want to be doing in the next five years? And the agent's more there to, to work on specific deals. Yeah. And to make sure when you're in a deal that you're not getting fucked you over get the, by... Also, when you're up for, for a prospective job, they get all the details. They find out all the other takes, all the other people that are up for it, that type of So, thing. I mean, I guess the difference is the manager is supposed to be more of an intimate buddy-buddy relationship. 
to help you navigate <laughs> navigate through that. And so, and just, with- wait a minute, just just to be clear, these people all get paid uh, out of uh, percentage, right? Per- yeah, ten percent. So at the end of the day, <laughs> you're not making that much money as a Hollywood screenwriter, especially if especially if you have a writing partner. Because what happens is twenty percent goes to manager agent. Another, you know, twenty percent goes to Uncle Sam. Then you have to cut split much more than that goes up. Or thirty percent. No. Well, whatever. Go ahead. five uh, percent goes to the WGA. Then you split the, the you split the the paycheck with your writing partner, you end up only getting twenty five percent of your paycheck. Yeah, that's ho- that's Hollywood math. Um, math and it's it's the same it's actually the same thing with distribution um they yeah you don't have to like you (laughs) they don't ask you to pay anything up front but they they calculate all of these inflated back end charges of like well we're gonna have to you know do some artwork even if you already provided it we're gonna have to make the dvd even if you already provided it uh shipping and production of units you know is is gonna be an astronomical cost. So, so you never actually see that money. Um, unless, unless you're a complete phenomenon, it's kind of like music. It's the same thing as music. And I've asked them, I've said, why are we even doing DVD? Why don't, why don't we just do, um, why don't we just do VOD? And, uh, they, they're like, because we still don't really know how to make money off of that. We really only know how to make money off of selling DVDs. That's crap. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because they know how to put, they know how to take a disc and sell it to someone. You know, they still don't really know how to, uh, you know, other than subscription fees. And and Netflix is the one that makes maybe a little bit of money, but but they also have a lot of gateways and a lot of expensive licensing that you have to get through to get there. The whole VOD digital distribution thing, I think, is going to be extremely exciting because it's going to just sort of you know turn the sort of bullshit system that we've been working with for the last four years sort of upside down at some point. Because the problem, the, the biggest fucking problem is, is that you had to spend so, you used to have to spend so much money on movies before before one dollar was spent on the production of it. Yeah. Because before digital distribution, just distribution itself would cost fifty million dollars to send five thousand different film can- film uh, can- canisters, film copies around the world. Yeah. And if you're- Fifty million dollars on distribution. You have to spend another fifty million dollars in marketing. So that's you know a hundred million dollars before one fucking penny is spent on the spent on the movie. So the idea that you can get you Frankie Frank can get to your audience in Australia, you know, Spain, you know, wherever you fucking want without having to spend a dime is is pretty exciting. And it's yeah, it's still in the early early days, the yeah. early stages. So it's going to be shaky. For probably another five to ten years, well, but what, people figure it out. What it's going to do is it, it's going to make a lot more opportunity for small money, and right, it's, right. and and it's going to eliminate a lot of opportunity for big money, and and yeah. and I think that's why you're seeing. Um, in fact, I mean, I, I there was an article out I want to say last year from uh, the head of Disney um, Animation. It was it was shortly after Alice in Wonderland, and they they had a few major hits. And they were like, we we really only invest in in major films, uh, you know, in giant films. That's where we that's where we make our big money. And uh, you know, releasing small movies on a, on a Friday in three thousand theaters, just you know, not, and when I say small movie, I don't mean an independent movie. I mean like a like the you know, 
the the kind of films that we used to see a little bit more of. Now it's all just giant, giant stuff, which is a good, interesting segue into. I remember you guys, um, you know, when when we saw each other a lot, you really kind of sell, sold yourselves to me to everyone else as like we like we like big movies. We like you know like high octane, um, large high budget shit. And so Berserker, which became Fuck You, I Win, that was was that kind of your way of being like, you know, this is this is the kind of energy level that that we're capable of, or what? Um, getting getting back to where we left off in the in the chronicles of uh, <laughs> and Willie Block, um, you know, Berserker was a script that no one in their life in their right mind would ever fucking make. That is what you you look at that movie and it's not really a studio movie. Right. Uh, but people did what it was, was people did respond to it because they had a lot of fun reading it. And especially if you're if you're a reader or if you're one of these execs and um, you have to you spend your entire life reading screenplays. A lot of people had a, a lot of fun r- reading this script. So. Because of that, wait a minute. D- d- describe it very briefly, because it, it's you're really right that it evokes fun in a way that even a good screenplay doesn't always. Um, the 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 way I would describe it is it's it's about a group of mer- mercenaries in the South Pacific who are trying to secure an oil well, and they're fighting mercenaries from 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 different countries. And so, but the the thing is, because it's it's mercenaries. Um, they all, they all they all know each other, so they're all sort of buddies. Yeah. So it's almost like a bunch of buddies just killing each other in the South Pacific. I would describe it as you know the Expendables on what, crack. What it should have been. You know the Expendables on crack. It, it reminded me of a like the only person I can imagine making that film would be Robert Rodriguez. Right. Yeah. That's the re- and that's actually the reason why, uh, why it's sort of why we one of the reasons we're starting to go back to to shooting a couple of things. Is one of the things we've learned um, as far as working in Hollywood is, is that if you want to do something very original or just even a little bit original, has to be you have to you have to do it yourself. Yeah, because no one else is going to do it. Because right, so let's say for an example that we wrote the movie Fight Club, right? right? If Willie and I wrote Fight Club, who would would you know a tremendous movie? Who would make that? Would Quentin Tarantino make that? No, because he's way too busy fighting to make his own original material. You know, would would Paul Thomas Anderson make that? No, you know, because he's too busy fighting his fight. You have to really write a movie that you that you think could be defined and work in the studio system, which is only a couple of genres. You know, uh, a rom a rom com. Um, one of these sort of $30 million thrillers like Contraband or Safe House, um, rated out comedies. There's only a, a very, a, a couple of these, of these genres. Um, but basically getting back to where we were with, with, with fuck you, I win. Um, that was great because, you know, it didn't, it didn't sell, but it, it opened a lot of doors for us. And we got to meet a lot of, a lot of great producers. And I mean, that's how we met Danny McBride and David Gordon Green and Jody Hill. And that's how we met um, the producers we worked with at, at De Bonaventura, uh, uh, which is how we got our first job, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. So this is so so um, let's just 
pick up on some of those details. Um, so when she when she sent "fuck you, I win" off, you're you just kind of go back home, cross your fingers, and calls come in. Right. Yes, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, we got, we um, from our first agent, we got a call, and it was like, "We love your script. We love to sit down and meet with you and two and." That's how we were represented by them. Well, you and, also, and I for, mean, you don't put, you don't just kind of sit back and wait, you know? Like, we also sent it out ourselves to people we knew and mm-hmm. talking to a producer who's at a who's at a company and he wanted to give us notes and then eventually, like, go sell it. Um, Which we decided against because we were just off of, we just we just got, off of eight months of Henson and we were like, we'd rather go with an agent and go with a work with on this movie right. and develop it with a producer. So, I mean, the, the idea is like, you should never, you know, rest on your laurels ever. Right. right. Be proactive. Especially as a writer. I mean, I hate to kind of harp on this, but it's like writers have to take as many jobs as they can. So it's like, I would say, you know, once you get success, you just got to keep pushing and like going up for assignments. Um, but basically, yeah, what happened was, it was as simple as that. We got a call from our agent at nine o'clock at nine o'clock in the evening. We got a call a couple months later from um, a guy who was our who's now our manager. And the thing is, what was what was easy about it? It was just you know what was nice about it is just that they really responded to the writing. They loved the writing, and yeah, you know if you if you have a lot of people who read screenplays as their as their career as just you know, day in and day out, people reading 15 screenplays a week, it's rare when you find something that you love. So we were lucky that, you know, a couple people really responded to it. What's also really funny about that is we also had a lot of uh, meetings that you would have loved. Yeah. Um, yeah, we had one meeting. We had a couple people who fucking hated it yeah, and had, told us to our face. Yeah, we had, we had one meeting where... You guys are disgusting, but because I'm friends with your agent, I would sit down with you. Yeah, they really, we, and they actually said that? Pretty much. You know, not like that, but but pretty much very similar to that. Well, you know, no, no, no. It was, <laughs> I'm not going to name names, but I will say. I don't remember the cunt's name, so. I do. <laughs> I do. Um, but she, what ended up happening was we had just read that they were going to, the studios were going to remake Toxic Avenger. Yeah. And so we. We're like, dude, put us up for this. And so they sent our script over and we got the meeting and she just spent the whole time scolding us. Yeah, we were like we were like to our agents, this is a movie we wanna write. Yeah. We wanna write the remake of Toxic Avenger, please. Yeah. And he was like, All right. And he set us up with this movie with this producer and was like, Your script is disgusting, you're immoral. And I was like you hate and women. I was sort of like, was like um, have you seen Toxic Avenger? Yeah, yeah, right. I was about to say, like, your script is disgusting and immoral. We're looking for someone to write the Toxic Avenger. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> really, but it was, it was the great. Stu- but obviously, the, stu- <laughs> I mean, the, stu- the studio version of Toxic Avenger would have been, you know, like um, a PG thirteen, uh, a PG thirteen sort of uh, a PG thirteen well, version. Yeah, especially from that company. It's funny is we've had a couple a couple of really close calls with jobs like that. You know, it's like we also when we first moved out here, we're up for for the rewrite of um, the, the 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 writing job of Predator of Predators. Oh wow, I didn't know that. And the problem with okay, if we have got and it's funny is like you go out of one of these jobs, and since there's maybe like 15 other writers who are um, 
you, who you're up against. You, you work on these jobs for a long time. We, we sometimes work on a pitch for one of these movies for, 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 for two to three months. And if you don't get it, it feels like a complete waste of time that all of the work you did meant nothing. Yeah. But if we had gotten Predators or Toxic Avenger or one of these jobs, it, it would change your life yeah, immediately. We just really were not prepped for that meeting. It's like our agent at the time did not know what the hell was going on. And like, so we go in and we pitch this ridiculous movie that like, he was like, dude, pitch the movie idea that you were telling me about like a couple weeks ago. And so we pitched this thing and at the end of it, they're like, yeah, that was interesting. But we were thinking about you guys from Predators. We're like, you know, our mouths, a gate, you know, hit the floor and we're like, what? You know? What, what, what about Men in, didn't you uh, almost write Men in Black 3 or wasn't that a thing at one point? Oh, God damn, that would have been cool. <laughs> okay, so that, I totally made that up. Okay, we wrote we wrote Men in Black Three. <laughs> well, I just I remember that that's one of the uh, the stories that I've read about anyway. That uh, an example of a script that that changed so many hands and and so many different people invested requested rewrites that it's kind of amazing that it turned out to be a competent coherent film. That's every movie pretty much. Mm-hmm. I mean, every well, Moneyball. Total I mean, every I, I, yeah, a lot of times, also actors have have their own personal writers that come in and rewrite the movie. You know, every every um, Tom Cruise movie, you might see you might see um, one or two writers' names on, on the movie credits, but he has Christopher McQuarrie come in and rewrite or Richard every, Curtis every single movie that that he's worked on since um, since the Usual Suspects. Um, What's the logic behind that? Is it that is it you know that they're managing they're managing his image? Um, yeah, or you know Tom Cruise, you know, isn't happy with something. It's the it's logic. Behind, the logic it. behind it is madness. It's madness because because what happens? There was an experience we had um, with this movie we wrote for Paramount. Um, oh. We we love the producers. We loved the execs we worked with, but if you're writing a movie that's inevitably going to cost $200 million, $250 million, you have a lot of people who are worried about that amount of money, <laughs> which means you have a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. You have, you know, like you're not answering to one or two people. You're answering to 10 people at some times. And so because of that mania, because of that frenzy, because if this movie doesn't doesn't work out, it means your ass. They don't want one writer. They want six great writers, which is why a movie like John Carter of Mars will be rewritten. They'll, they'll, they'll be willing to pay Michael Chabon, you know, a Pulitzer Prize winner, uh, um, $1.5 million to rewrite it just because, just because they're terrified. I thought there was some guild shit that prevented that. No. What? No, no. Not really. No, guild only. They just read every draft and credit it however the hell they want. Uh, we haven't really had a we haven't really had a good experience with the writers I guild. Fucking hate the writers guild. Oh wow! Here, you you heard it here, folks. What what <laughs> happened was um, our, our relationship with the writers guild hasn't really been significant, to, uh, except for the fact that I owe when, the money. When um, <laughs> I owe the money too. I owe the money too. Uh, when uh, hunchback. Of Notre Dame made it to the trades, we sort of got a very like mafia type knock at the door, 
and was like, hello, you and was like, and they were like, hello, gentlemen, we are the Writers Guild of America West. Congratulations, you now owe us twenty five hundred dollars each. Congratulations. One percent of everything. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. And then a hundred bucks every four months. Jesus Christ. Like it's like it sucks. And you don't really have an option, right, to not be in the Writers Guild. I mean, or or you can't get your paycheck. It's kind of a bad. You, or you can't get your paycheck because it's a, it's a writers guild contract. Yeah, it always has to be. It's kind of a bad union. Jesus. Um. So yeah. So that was that was summer 2010. I want to say when the when Hunchback hit the trades and there were the 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 now infamous pictures of Jake and Willie that <laughs> that circulated the internet. But it was a really big deal for my friends it was it was huge and they you know publicized it at emerson which i was you know i'm still working at and it was just the coolest goddamn thing how did you guys feel about that um it was great great how could you not feel great about that you know i mean like great we used it to get into parties (laughs) um cool (laughs) and the funny thing is you know everything after that was pretty was pretty crazy like the last two years the reason that we haven't you know like gotten another job uh, since, except for this movie, we worked on for um, for for Roughhouse oh, which is, and Mandate, which was, I mean, a difficult, which was a little bit of a, tr- a little bit of a, a trouble a troubled project. Um, but the re- but the reason is, um, it took us two years to submit the scripts to the studio. We didn't submit the draft. Of Hunchback of Notre Dame. It was like after doing four of them. Until until 2012, you know, mid 2012, you know, this this spring. So this this goes back to the whole movie development time is glacial. Television is quick, right? Yeah. You know, and it's like it's like the people wouldn't hire us again until after they would they they'd be able to read our new screenplays. But our our new screenplays, Hunchback in Notre Dame, and the script we wrote called Coyotes uh, for a couple of comedians, just got bogged down for for not abnormal reasons, for very normal sort of sort of reasons. Yeah, and and the reason you know Hunchback took so long is we had to write a you know a, 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 a you know six seven drafts. Ironically, here's the iron here's the funny thing about Hunchback in Notre Dame. We spent more years, more time writing the script than Victor Hugo spent writing the goddamn book. <laughs> that is awesome. So the you thing is, half the, half the time was, you know, we were writing this. The other half of the time is sometimes the producers would be MIA for four months. Because, yeah. you know, working, yeah. if they're working on Transformers 3, that has... Way, 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 way more priority I mean, than the, a little dinky script you're, old, you're, you're writing. The old adage, you know, that writing is, you know, hurry up and wait. You never, I mean, you don't really know what that means until you're actually doing it for a studio. It's like when you are working for them, they will call you at 4 a.m., you know, with crazy, horrible ideas that you never want to hear. And then you have to mail it to them again at 8 a.m. And then you're doing like four different drafts of the first act eat like in not a the producers we're working with of course but just uh <laughs> you know that could happen oh i get it because you don't want them to know that we are talking about them um other yeah other our producers people. are geniuses our producers are the best no um the it's so they no, they ride you really hard and then you know when you're done with a draft you don't hear anything for four or five months each time 
So, well, the, but so basically, you're just like, is this dead? And then you're going to call in five months and they're like, oh no, things are great. We love it, but change everything. But basically, so I mean, long, long story short is that um, that was in like July 2010, two and a half years ago. And it was, it was two years of, uh, of writing that script, this other script, this other script called Coyotes. And just now, just in the last couple of months, we've started up again going after new, new movie jobs, new movie assignments, so, which has been exciting for us um, because it's just like we, have, we weren't able to do that for two years. Yeah. And now we're just, just getting our feet wet. You know, we pitched a movie to Universal uh, two weeks ago, a movie that we didn't get. Um, but it was still it was still exciting to that they decided not to do a movie they decided not to do. Um, <laughs> but it was still exciting to go in there and pitch a movie to the um, vice president of production at, at Universal. Mm-hmm. You know, half the battle is not hitting a home run, but it's just kind of stepping up the plate. Yeah. Um, and so now for the next couple of months, it's you know going after a couple more assignments like that for studios and writing some working on our own stuff. Well, I think it's a, I think it's a really good idea then that you're doing um, the sketches. I, I I I think it's probably wise to keep um, you know a little kind of independent film element in your lives, um, if for no if for no other reason than just so that you can have an idea, execute it, complete it, and move on. It sounds like you haven't you've really had to stay with ideas for a long time, and that must be fucking maddening. Yeah, you know that's it's really it's bad. very it's very difficult. It's very it's very it's very tough. And I don't think, and you know, um, and if anything, you know, even if it turns out to be a piece of shit, these sketches, at the very least, it'll be refreshing and it'll, it'll actually help us in our screenwriting um, just because it's a way to stay fresh. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I um, you know, I, for whatever reason, decided to only do <laughs> feature length movies, which is, which is a weird thing for an independent guy to do. Uh, but I think that's why I've kind of found a home with podcasting for a little while because there's something really nice about like flicking on a mic, having an interesting conversation, publishing it, and doing it again next week. You know, it's an entirely different outlet, and it, I was at a place where I we just we just needed that. Yeah, we definitely just needed that. You know, because for for a couple of years we were really just we were very disciplined about just being focused. You know, it's like how do we get from A to Z in one jump, but you know it's it's a it's a it's a such a a crazy road. You need a couple of these things to remind you why you love it, why it's fun. Do you um, get, do you guys still keep pretty pretty uh, current with like mil- movies coming out and whatnot? I mean, when we were in college, we would see everything, everything, and we even did that a little bit out here, but now. I can't do that anymore. It's, it's, it's not fun to see. I, so we just see, we do see a lot, but it's just, we only see what we really think is going to be great that we love, you know. No more animated movies. I mean, like, for example, in college, in, in college I would have seen Silver Linings Playbook and Playing for Keeps. Right. Now I'm like, fuck Playing for Keeps. I'm just going to see Silver Linings Playbook. That's yeah, what's. Yeah. You're actually going to try to, like, decide what you would like and then go see that. <laughs> <laughs> for a fact that I would not like playing for keeps. Yeah. I tried to I tried to follow your uh, your lead in college a little bit. Like I I remember there was one time you guys saw palindromes and Todd Solins was there. 
And for whatever reason, I opted out and saw Guess Who with fucking Bernie Mac and (laughs) and Ashton Kutcher. Uh, But I snuck in. Remember, that was the whole thing was like the Boston Common Lows. You uh, once you kind of get past the ticket stand, you can kind of like no one's going to catch you sneaking into a movie. And we would do like four or five in a row. That was that was candy popcorn soda. Yeah. Remember that asshole? Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah. There was there was this guy that would I don't know if he's still there. There was this guy who would like (laughs) really kind of um, uh, in a really kind of brutal Impo- you know, imposing way, sell you popcorn, candy, and soda in the aisles and shit, and <laughs> and we would always heckle him just a little bit, and he didn't take it well at all. <laughs> why? Why were we? Why did we make an attempt to see movies? Like, just the fact that it had been captured on film was enough. Like, what? What was the criteria? Nothing better to do. I don't. Know. I was just. <laughs> I, I genuinely. Personally, and I, I think I was very interested and fascinated at seeing all of these movies. I, you know, like I wanted to go see Christmas with the Craig, so I was excited about sitting down and watching that. I mean, there was one day, it had to have been in October because they were all horror movies, and it was like the worst lineup of horror movies you ever And seen. I still had fun though. Yeah, it was like Hide and Seek, Bookman, The Ring 2, White Noise. All the worst and crap. And like, you, it was like, I can't believe it. it was like almost all the studios just took a dump that one weekend. It was like, <laughs> you know, yeah. fucking every there. studio, every studio, Fox, Universal, yeah, Paramount, Warner Brothers decided to take a runny, a runny dump that yeah. one weekend. I know. And we, and we were the ones who opened their mouths and right. it in. And ate it. The only ones, by the way. The only ones. Let, let me ask you this. I, I remember um, there was that, that kind of, that sprint of time where, they they released four scary movie movies, and then they did Disaster Movie and Spartan Meet the Spartans and all this shit. That was more Kurtz thing. Yeah. I could I can't watch I those fucking watch movies. Those. Well, no. Well, so my my question is, um, I remember us talking about it a lot because it was kind of a you know if 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 we're comedy snobs at all, um, and maybe we are a little bit. Uh, I think I mean it's easy. Like I, I'm affronted by those movies, and more than that, fascinated by. Uh, you know, like, like, how did it get made? Was there any passion behind it at all? Now that you're working, do you totally see how that movie, those movies got made? You know, that is a little bit of a problem. It's like, now that I know how some of these movies get made, I'm not excited about seeing them anymore. Right. You know? But, I mean, the thing is, I also looked up, like, you know, interviews with those guys, and they are so completely full of shit that, like, I have no idea how even those got made. Remember they said that they like sold in one year like fifty scripts or something. What the the, the epic movie guys? Yeah, yeah. Aaron, whatever his name is, and I think Willie. I think Willie Block and I have been compared to them a couple of times. No, when? <laughs> no, is that true? <laughs> no, I think there was like some Facebook joke. Oh, it's okay. a reputation in, in, in Hollywood. Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. You know, like. You or Kurt said something. Oh, yeah. Because we sort of look like them, and we're just two Jewy guys who are like... Oh, the pictures, probably. You know, like, yeah. Well, (laughs) I I thought you were saying for a minute that there was, like, uh, you know, an an agent was like, you got to meet these guys. They're just like the Meet the Spartans fellas. Never happened. That's never happened. No, fuck that. (laughs) Yeah, okay, awesome. So we've been going a long time. I I think that kind of sums up the story in in a lot of ways, and I'm I'm so glad we got to do this, Um, unless there's anything else. You have, I mean, you have a lot of editing to do, apparently, but, uh... Maybe. I, <laughs> why not? Why we should not? do it, though. It's, it's, it was fun. It was. Um, 
I, I, I love you guys to pieces. Uh, I wish we could see each other more. I would love if, if you uh, if you shoot that thing, I'd love to see if I can at least try to make it out. And um, but more than that, let me um, let me help with color correction or with with sound or whatever. You know, I actually may not want you there just because I'll be so just because I'll be so freaked out, you know, and I'll just like I'll I'll, I'll want to just spend the time catching up with you. Oh, I see. You, but maybe, yeah, maybe. Or, Dude, well, or we're gonna be home. Why don't we just hang out? I, yeah, I'm around. I'm on the East Coast since uh, till January 5th, and I actually haven't been up to Boston either since graduation. So that would yeah, be. Me either. Oh, okay. Well, let's let's make something happen. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Let's hang okay. out. All right, I, I mean, I'd come to New York too if if you guys wanted to go there or whatever. Sure. Let's do it. Okay. Um, right. So, <laughs> thanks again. This will go up sometime uh, later this week. All right. All right. Cool. All right, guys. I'll talk to you. Right, bye, bye, Frank. Frankie. We miss you. We you miss you, bro. Bye. You as well, guys. Bye. <laughs> bye.